Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year for those listening in almost real time. This is the first episode released in 2021, and technically it's my fourth calendar year. I began releasing weekly to semi-weekly podcast episodes back in October of 2017, and I am thankful to continue producing content on this platform. I've had a lot of great feedback over the years. Many people let me know that it's a helpful way to share the gospel with friends and family. The conversational format is, I think, easy to listen to, and, and the truth is presented in a fair and direct way without the high stakes that sometimes cloud a conversation that you have. So I'm glad people can use it and share it, that they can learn themselves and then also use it for spreading the gospel to others. We press on together, and this is episode number 131. It's the first of a three-part series called Walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? If Galatians 5, 16-18 tells Christians to do just that, how do we accomplish it? You know, instead of making up our own interpretation, we can use the book of Galatians to better understand this particular verse. And so the question that I'm asking is, in this mini-series, can we do an overview of the book of Galatians to set a context and a right perspective for how to walk in the Spirit? Brother Greg Branch from Oakdale, California, has done a phenomenal job when we recorded this together, in leading a study on an overview of Galatians that spends three weeks' worth of studies, right? This is the first of three, to help us understand what the Scriptures mean when it says, walk in the Spirit. So in this first study, we introduce you to Greg, ask some big questions about walking in the Spirit, and then consider the book leading up to this very important fifth chapter. Now, something that Greg says that he does when he presents this study is to read the book of Galatians beforehand. And I decided to read it as well as I prepared for this podcast, and I want to challenge you to do the same. If you pause right now and either pick up your Bible or open your Bible app, you can probably read Galatians in 20 minutes, give or take a few. And I recommend you do just that. It will enrich this conversation and bless you with understanding. So whether you've decided to pause or whether you'll get to it in a little bit, when it comes to reading Galatians. Let's begin a conversation with Brother Greg about walking in the Spirit. Greg now joins me from Oakdale, California by Zencaster. I thought we would begin, um, maybe if, if I could have you introduce yourself to the audience. You know, people might not know who Greg Branch is and where you live, what you do, who you are, all those things. So would you take a minute and uh, introduce yourself? Well, I am Greg Branch. Um... Originally grew up in Oklahoma in 1988, graduated from the University of Oklahoma and immediately moved to California. You left the promised land. Left the promised land to pursue <laughs> uh, the love of my my life. Uh, okay. She was from California, and so we've spent the better part of the last 32 years here. Went back to Oklahoma for a few years, but uh, wound up permanently settling out here. A congregation in Oakdale, California. And the uh, Lord has blessed us incredibly. In fact, just this year, it's still a little bit uh, surreal, but 
was ordained as an elder at the congregation in Oakdale in, in November. So that's wonderful. It's been quite a year, 2020 in, in many, many ways. <laughs> and you have, uh, how many boys do you have? Three boys? Have and three boys. Girl? Yep. Three boys and one daughter. Actually, our first grandchild is on the way due in March. Whoa. And, uh, Congratulations. So, yeah. We're, uh, life is moving fast and, uh, we are very blessed. Don't know any other way to accept it. Would you say that you you have an Oklahoma twang or a California twang to you, the way that you speak? Are you more West Coast than Okie, or do people call you out? Boy, that's a great question. It probably depends on the <laughs> word. <laughs> if I if I say boat, a lot of times people think I said bow. I don't pronounce my T, and so they say that's Okie. Huh. But then the Oklahomans say I don't have an accent, so I don't do, know. Do you say y'all? I do, and I type <laughs> y'all. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I don't know. I'm probably a, a mix of everything. Even when I was in Oklahoma, I didn't think I had a, a twain, but uh, I listened to some old videos, and I, I certainly did, more so than now. Well, good. <laughs> you know, my, my story kind of mirrors yours. I went to, to the University of Oklahoma as well. Um, and then I, I left Oklahoma as soon as I graduated for a, a lady down here in Texas. So, you know, I'm, I left the promised land also and, uh, living in the land of Moab, so to speak. Although my Texan friends around me, you know, they think it's the other way around. Well, brother, I'm very thankful that you, um, are willing to spend some time with me today. And I hope that those who are listening, uh, will benefit from our study together. You, you sent me several different, um, Bible studies to look over that that would be good for recording, and uh, one that really, uh, because of my love for that particular scripture, one that really kind of spoke to me was uh, "Walk in the Spirit" in Galatians chapter uh, five, verses sixteen through eighteen. And uh, I guess the first question that I'd like to ask you is um, just the, the the imagery of that word "walk in the Spirit." What do you think Paul's trying to convey um, whenever he uses that phrase? And he this isn't the only time it's in the Bible, right? So what, what's going on there whenever we're told to walk? Right. I don't know how to even answer that question other than to say it comes straight from the context. I, in the, this whole context of this letter to the Galatians, it's, it's like a contrast in motivations, uh-huh. motivating factors. Yeah. And I believe he's willing to try, really trying to turn their heart to the truth. And the flesh, as opposed to the spirit, he's trying to, to just get them to understand that if, it's out, if you're not walking in the spirit, if your life isn't in the spirit, then you've missed the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've, you've missed what is actually going to deliver you. And everybody, should, I think instinctively, people want that. Yeah. They they want something deeper. They want something that's more meaningful. Even when people don't believe in God, right? they seek after meaning. right? And that's what's maybe represented in this idea of, of walking in the Spirit, that it's it goes deeper. It's not just the flesh. It's not just the outside. Wow. Well, if I, you know, if it's my first time to maybe read through Galatians, or maybe I haven't read it at all. And so all, I, all I'm hearing right now is the title, you know, Walk in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I hear what you've just said. Um, I may think, yeah, well, that's that's good and well for the Galatians, right? Since that's the ones Paul Paul is writing it to. 
but is this is it for us? Is it for a modern audience? What what do you want people to take away? You know, maybe who aren't Galatian or are, or haven't considered it before. Right. So I think the the big takeaway for me that I want people to have is number one, I want people to know. I'm going to assume, and for the sake of where we pick up in this, uh-huh. that it that we have people that are interested in the Bible. They're looking to it to understand what it's trying to say. Okay. Even if their faith isn't totally in it yet, they're still trying to figure it out. What's the message? And I want them to know, I want us to know that you don't have to have someone tell you what to believe. Mm-hmm. We may need guidance to rightly divide the truth, like the Ethiopian nobleman in Acts 8, to help us understand some progressions. Right. But we should expect whoever we're getting this guidance from to do the same thing Philip did and go to the Word mm-hmm. and let the Word define itself. Because here, here's what I know, and the reason I chose this study and the way I went about this study is there are people that go to Galatians 5, 16 through 18 and use that to justify and try to say there is no law. You just follow the Spirit. You just do what you feel is right. And if oh, God's okay. with you, then that's right. Okay, okay. And, and is that really what Paul was talking about? And I think the context of the book of Galatians clearly sets what he was talking about and the message he, he wanted to get. So I don't know how someone can read the book of Galatians if they're reading the whole book and stand and say that they believe that verses 16 through 18 is teaching that, you know, we're just saved by faith only. Right. I guess is another way. Right. You would have to stop reading the book because he goes on to explain the works of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, at the other extreme, you can't just jump to the end of the book of Galatians and say, well, it's all about what you do. It's it's your works and you just don't do the works of the flesh and, and be a good person and works of the spirit and everything's all right. Yeah. There's a, there's a bigger message of the whole book that we can't just cherry pick certain verses. My whole goal in this study was to say, can I, in one sermon, do an overview of the book of Galatians to set a context and the right perspective of what it means to walk in the Spirit and how it means to have faith? Uh, well, that's music to my ears, because I love uh, digging into context, and that that the Scriptures weren't meant to cherry-pick a verse here and a verse there, and that's how you form your theology. But you should be able to read a letter and... Uh, when you read a passage like Galatians 5 and understand that before it came four very valuable chapters, and uh, there's a lot of good information there that will help you better appreciate it. So maybe if uh, somebody's not read it before, it might be good if we read it. So that way they can kind of mm-hmm. appreciate what's going on. Would you mind reading it for us? Galatians 5, 16 through 18? Absolutely. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Whenever you say you're not under the law, but you're led by the spirit, spirit, not law, I guess, you know, is reversing it. But what do you, what does the Bible Mm -hmm. mean when it talks about spirit and not law. 
You know, I think the best way to answer that question is say, I, that's what we're going to cover in, in total. I believe the overall message when, when Paul is talking here in the book of Galatians, he's contrasting the motivating factor and they have been motivated and are being motivated to return to a former way of thinking. Right. And when they do that, they will abandon the liberty that they should have in Jesus Christ. The real question is, what is that law? Is it law in general? Or is he talking about something more specific when he refers to the law? And I believe the context will show he's talking a very, very specific law that could be a, a massive hindrance to anybody ever being able to be saved if they try to hang on to that old law, now, that thing they used to right. have. Right. And, and Paul, um, Paul seems to be just the right guy to talk about this. It seems like his past and the way that he interacted with the old law, and then now here he is trying to differentiate between uh, that old way versus the way of Christ. Um, it's as though, you know, uh, he was born for such a time as this. Could you help us understand uh, Paul's, uh, maybe the way he's able to use himself throughout this book? You know, he kind of explains himself and where he's been and, and how right. he gets to this point. Absolutely. So one of the things that I kind of point out to myself, and I, I'm going to rewind myself a hair on your question. I'll get to oh, it. Oh, sure. First thing I do when I get like the Galatians 5, 16, 18, is I, I'll typically try to back up to the beginning of the thought. Okay. And typically I'll go to the, the beginning of the chapter if it seems like it. And Galatians 5 and 1 says, stand fast, therefore. And so he's still continuing a thought. And so ultimately I found myself all the way back to Galatians chapter 1. Uh-huh. And once he had, in Galatians 1, once he had finished his introductions, one of the first things he tells them in chat, in verses 6 through 12 is, listen, the gospel's being perverted. And I don't care if it's me or an angel from heaven that comes to you. If anybody preaches anything different than what you've been taught, you need to reject that. Let mm -hmm. them be accursed. Mm -hmm. And he repeats that. Mm -hmm. So from the very outset, the idea that it doesn't matter what you believe Paul is already refuting that any interpretation of Galatians 5, 16 through 18 that says what you believe doesn't matter is in direct contrast to his very introducing thoughts. That's good. He says there is a gospel and it can be changed. Right. And people that were perverted, they need to be cut off. Mm. So that's, he begins with that, that emphasis. Now it's still, the question is, well, who's perverting it? It could be me. It doesn't mean it's somebody else. And then he gets, in verses 13 through 24, that's where Paul kind of establishes his credentials as a Jew. He says, look at my history. Look at my zeal. I mean, he, can, he goes through, he, he did everything right. <laughs> as a Jew. He, he tried to persecute the church. He was going to stamp it out. I mean, he says, my credentials, you can't question those. I mean, <laughs> and then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, he talks about how that he was he was given the opportunity to take the gospel to the Gentiles and how he faced challenges from the Jews about specifically circumcision. Mm -hmm. 
Now, circumcision was something required by the old law. And so he ultimately has to deal with the Jews and say in verse 21 of chapter 2, if righteousness comes through the law, well, then Christ died in vain. Why Christ have to die if we're going to the law right. for righteousness? It's such a sad circumstance where he has to tell us that, that very valuable point because of poor Peter who's came along and has fallen into the hypocrisy that a lot of the Jewish Christians were, right. were guilty of, and, and that was around keeping additional laws to the law of Christ, specifically circumcision. Peter wouldn't even eat with Gentiles, so Paul has to call out Barnabas, has to call out Peter, and yeah, he's telling them, man, if, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So knowing that, knowing that Paul's the one to deliver the rebuke when he was the very one persecuting the church you know, a few years earlier, it's kind of a powerful about face. Isn't it? And And Peter, what a great... There's so many examples, so many ways we can learn from Peter in that. How Peter, we can see ourselves in what Peter did. When he was with Paul and with the Gentiles, he was fine. They would eat together. They would, they they were fellowshipping. Everything was seemed to be great. And as soon as the Jews came, certain men that were with James, now he he kind of went off to him with them, and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Right. And so, so yeah, Paul has to call him out. And he's like, this is inconsistent. <laughs> and, and I, but we see that in ourselves. Uh-huh. We can, we can get comfortable and we can know everything's right, but then we get another group and you call it your clique, call it your, whatever you want to call your crew. And we can kind of take a step back. And I'm encouraged, actually, that this was included because Peter is a great man of faith. It wound up being an elder in the church, mm-hmm. a, a martyr for Christ. But it shows we have we got to grow through things. We have to learn consistency. Now, Peter could have bowed up and said, who are you to talk to me? Don't you know who I am? I mean, you haven't been an apostle <laughs> near as long as me. <laughs> but he didn't. It, you know, Peter, it, when it's true, it's true. And if we could all learn that, if we get called out and and we're not living right, or we're not acting consistent with our faith, well, let's change it. Let's not say this is, hey, I'm led by the Spirit. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Amen. And and so it's it's a wonderful example. Yeah, it, there's. I think I just said this this past Sunday, um, but every time I point at the audience, making some sort of admonition to do some sort of uh, personal change or act of righteousness. And every time I'm calling on them to do that, there's three fingers pointing back at myself. And it's the same whenever right. it's, you know, a call for righteous living over sin and the struggle that we have. And there's three fingers pointing back at me. We do learn from Peter that uh, even men of faith need to be humble about it instead of just assuming because you have the power, then people should just listen to you. That's right. And no doubt that helped establish even Peter better in the eyes of the brethren he was he was interacting with, that he's approachable. I mean, don't we want that? Amen. Uh, if we're um, looking in Galatians, uh, you, you've kind of mm-hmm. given us this roadmap uh, from chapter 5, verse 1, you know, stand fast, therefore. I love the word therefore, because it's that red flag that you need to back up and find out what it's there for. And uh, mm-hmm. so you've taken us all the way back to Galatians 1, we've looked at 2, and then there's this very powerful plea in Galatians chapter 3, 
And so we're still kind of building our way up to chapter 5. But um, I know that this this plea that he gives him, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, and he's clarifying the law. Could you take some time and, and maybe explain in chapter 3 uh, and maybe some other places what law is actually right. being talked about here? That's right. He's all, He's kind of been hinting with circumcision, and now he just gets right to it. And this word here, bewitched, as a kid, there was a, there was a TV show, Bewitched. Uh-oh, you're dating <laughs> and, uh, yourself. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but so that, that word kind of, it stuck out to me. It's like, oh, that's in the Bible. You know, the first time I read it, it literally comes from a word that means to malign or to fascinate. Huh. And he's saying, who's fascinated you? Who's, who's convincing you that you don't need to obey the truth? That's his first statement is, is there is truth. Yeah. And who has got you mesmerized to make you think you don't have to? Right. I, that's just a fascinating. That, that alone, I can just sit there and, and just stop. And that's why <laughs> even in my PowerPoint presentation, of this is just comma dot, dot, dot. <laughs> because you do it to get away from the simplicity of the Bible. And to just keep reading, he says, you, you've, you've gotten away from everything, your foundation that you've been taught. He's well, like, who did that? Let, let me ask this question for someone out there, maybe who's listening and they're a bit confused because maybe they, uh, up until this point, have just assumed that we keep the law. Um, mm-hmm. What are, are we under this law today? And... Uh, right. Did, did this law, does it not help us? There's a couple of questions maybe for you to think about in Galatians 3. Exactly. And and so like in verse 16, and I know I'm skipping through a few, but again, we're trying to make it. He says, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Mm-hmm. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, now he's he's getting an indication into this law, and so I'm going to get to answer your question there, or any okay. question that might have is you know are we under it? But he he begins to build. He's clarifying now which law, and he goes back all the way to the promise. He says, "I want you to know God made a promise to Abraham and his seed." Now he says, "I also want you to pay attention." He it was to seed as of one. Uh-huh. Not seeds, and then in Israel, and quite frankly, many of the modern day Bible theologians want to make that seed plural, and they want to make it a nation, a physical nation of people. And uh-huh. Paul clearly says here that is not the case. It is not into many. There was one. It was seed, as in singular. And you know, it's it's easy to make that mistake. It's kind of like when I say, hey, "Would you go get me the seed?" Now, that can refer to multiple or singular. And so someone does have to clarify. And the the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to know it was seed singular. Mm -hmm. And the singular was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that promise. But he said that promise that they were hanging their hats on as Jews in this day and time in Galatia, or that people might have thought they needed if they were a Gentile coming in, he says that was 430 years later that the law was given. Right. So now we get an idea of which law. What law came about 430 years after the promise was made to Abraham? 
Now you're looking in the days of Moses. Right, right. And he's, so he's talking about the law of Moses. Uh-huh. That's the same law, by the way, that taught circumcision that he talked about in chapter two. Okay. Okay. So it's consistent. He's not changing and he's not, you know, moving around and, and being, you know, where's he going with this? He's, he's, he, every time he's talking about this law now, it's consistently that law of Moses. And he says, therefore, verse 24, and this starts to get to your question. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Hmm. The old law was a tutor. Okay. Now you can look up definitions for tutor. You know, that's always got an, an interesting labor. Te- As I understand technically in the Hebrew, this word tutor meant a servant whose office it was to take kids to school, children to education. Huh. Now that's very interesting. That's what... Uh, strong said about it. I can tell you my experience, and I think it's consistent with what he said is, I had a math class in high school that I just messed around, messed around. By the time I realized, oh, I better take this serious. I was so far behind. I didn't, they, they were speaking Greek, right? Math analysis. <laughs> right. And I had to get a tutor. It was one-on-one instruction that helped get me up to speed with everybody else. Right. Okay. The law was God's way of preparing each and every person who would to receive Jesus Christ. I guess I'd ask if uh, if it helps us find Christ, wouldn't it help us stay in Christ? How, it, how would it hurt us if we kept using it? And we may talk about this later, but in Romans chapter 5, the law has said it is there for our learning, it's there for our admonition. That Paul told the Corinthians that that we need to take and learn from those things and take heed to ourselves. that we don't fall if we think we stand. So there is great value to it, but the danger of treating it as though it is a book of commands, you know, Paul would basically tell them, look, nobody else could do it. If, if it could have brought salvation, then Jesus didn't, he died in vain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was not able To offer the salvation that we need. I I like what Benny Cryer he said about this. He says, uh, regarding the law, is you know, is it hurt us? Is it not? It's still there to help us. He says, however, instead of being saved under the law, it brought them into slavery to sin without a deliverer. Right. Wow. And that was the difficulty of the of the law. It was it was perfect. There was nothing wrong about it. There's no deliverance. And we need a deliverer. And the deliverer, he says it was the promise was through Jesus. And so at the end of Galatians 3:27, he tells him, he reminds them as Christians, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Mm-hmm. You have this deliverer. Why would you give that up to go back to something that didn't have a deliverer? Yeah. That's how you could fall from grace. That's how you lose it because you're walking away from the deliverance. Mm-hmm. And so uh, chapter four, like if I'm, if I'm listening to this episode, I'm still waiting for us to get to chapter five and talking about walking in the spirit. Right. But hopefully I'm, I'm appreciating what it takes to get to that exact phrase. Because like you said, uh, 
I can make that phrase say whatever I want if mm-hmm. I twist it to my own interpretation. But when I've spent time looking at these previous chapters, it's really helping me appreciate what Paul's encouragement is. And we still have one more chapter before we get to five, and that's chapter that's four. Right. <laughs> and so we've 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 seen um, Paul's heritage. Then we've seen him stand up against that heritage, which was trying to uh, bring circumcision and other parts of the law into the church. And then we've seen uh, in chapter three, the law's purpose. But now in chapter four, there's this juxtaposition between how we're adopted and then the 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 slave woman versus the free, right? So like the, the one who's after adoption, you are the free woman versus those right. that would be following the law and they're the slave woman. So can you help the readers understand why does the Holy Spirit use the term adoption and, and who are these, uh, mm-hmm. what, what's the comparison between slave and free going on in this chapter? Right. So to me, the adoption and the, the transition from through chapter three into chapter four um, is the direct connection is that baptism that he talks about in verse 27. Um, in fact, and this can get edited out later or not, but I just want to make sure I point out some, there's a lot of times that the Pauline epistles, baptism is somehow diminished because they say, well, he's not teaching people to be baptized and this and that. He, But we got to remember, these were written to churches of people that were already Christians. The right. book of Acts, if you want to see how people are converted, that's where you get that. But he doesn't ignore baptism even in these epistles. Mm-hmm. And 30, mm-hmm. verse 27, they did it. You know, He acknowledges the fact they did it. And that's really important because he... He, he shows that it's the not the same thing as following the old law when you follow a new covenant principles. Yeah. They're two separate things. He doesn't discourage and say, oh, you really messed up. What, what are you guys even more? <laughs> were you baptized for in the first place? Don't you understand you're saved by grace? He didn't say that. No, he says, that's how you put Christ on. Right. So there's a clear distinction. And that once you put Christ on, now you can be partakers of that promise. Remember, it was to seed as of one, not uh-huh. seed as of many. Right. So if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be in the family, if you want to be adopted, your access to that adoption, to that being placed in the family, you're not going to get there without that, that baptism. I love it. I absolutely love on it. Christ. The, uh, the epistles and their use of baptism, you are absolutely right. They can, say, they can pack so much into a single That's verse, right. right? They don't need exactly. to explain in across chapters and chapters about baptism. But in, in, in just that single verse, so much is put in there. I have to share a story with you. Uh, it's not in my notes, but um, I won't tell it as good as Bill Davis did. But Bill mm-hmm. Davis shared a story one time, maybe he did many times, uh, about a little girl and her parents, and they were planning on adopting a second child. And... So this their their natural born daughter was observing all that the parents had to go through, and all of the process. And I, I we have not adopted. I'm not, I'm unfamiliar with it firsthand, but I can appreciate the amount of effort and work, time, resources, et cetera, that goes into that. And so she's observing this, um, this process, and. I think she, the way he tells the story, after seeing how much they invested into it, she asked them why they were doing it, and uh, they they explained that you know this this little child is not 
related to us by blood, but we choose to love her and we want her to be in our family. And the innocence of their natural born daughter was to say, well, will you adopt me too? And, you know, it's just this very (laughs) cute yet powerful story or vignette of, of what adoption is a love of choice. And anyway, so I wanted to share that with you. Maybe that could be our segue into talking about chapter four with adoption. That's right. It's, it's to understand that adoption can be so blessed and so awesome that everybody wants to have a piece of that now. (laughs) That's the point. We do want to be adopted and we don't want to be the slaves. He says, you're no longer a slave in verse seven, but a son. Mm-hmm. And then if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of the family lineage, lineage that, that people have opportunities. And then there's this, this, tr- this comparison. I don't know how deep to get into it of the bond or the free, you know, which one are you going to choose? But clearly he, the idea is that you want to choose to be a part of the free one. Yeah. You don't want the bondage. You don't want the one that was cast out. You want the part that was free, that where the promises mm-hmm. is going to come through. Mm-hmm. So you've got a choice. In verse 17, he talked about these people that were drawing them back. Yeah. And he, re, he uses this phrase. He says, they zealously court you, but for no good. They want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. Hmm. What does he mean by that? And I think of this person, I think of this as like an isolationist. Okay. It's someone that's not trying to draw you into the word. They're trying to tell you what to think. They're going to tell you how it's going to be. You're going to just line up behind them, be brain dead about it. That's bondage. And he says, you, you don't want that. He says, they're, they're pulling you. They, they want you to do this. They want to zealously affect you. He says, they're up to no good. They just really want you on their side. They want you to be a part of their group. And then he tells him about this. He says, look, in verse 18, it's good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I'm present with you. <laughs> I, I think of this, I used to call this a meeting Christian. <laughs> When there's Uh a revival going on, when there's a meeting, everything's great. People are on high. As soon as the meeting's over or we all go home from a big opportunity to be together, then we fall back into the same complacency. And he says, look, he says their zeal is good. But maybe I should say it's kind of like Paul talked about in Romans 10, is it? Uh, They zealously affect you. He says, uh, I, the brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. Right. Right. For they're zealous, but not according to knowledge. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Right. And so what Paul's saying, kind of the same message to the Galatians here, it's the zeal isn't the problem. We need people that are on fire, but we need to be the, on fire for right for the right kind of things, and not just when somebody's watching us, not just when the preacher's coming over for a Bible study. Amen. Not, Amen. And uh, and so that's his his call for them. He's saying, get back to the truth. Get back to the Word. You've got a cho- choice between freedom and bondage. With that choice, he transitions, uh, in my sermon anyway, to standing fast, therefore. 
Aha. So here we are in chapter five. Here we are. <laughs> back to back to what we talked about in the intro. People have been waiting, you know, but as they've learned, if they've listened to this program at all, it's a slow burn. You know, we, we like to give you a little tease and then uh, take our time getting there. So here we are back in chapter five. Well, we're going to pause right there. It is a cliffhanger. We've made it up to chapter five. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was very healthy for me to be a part of, to hear Brother Greg talk about it, lay out some great scriptures. And it's just so encouraging to see how easy the Bible is to understand whenever you put it together that way. So you need to come back next week and the week after to get the exciting second and third part in this series of studies that will help us understand and appreciate how to walk in the Spirit. Until then, you can go to the website and check out all the wonderful resources for you to use and download absolutely free. I'll tell you this. I had a lady uh, recently who used one of my workbooks, gave it to a, a new friend that she made. That friend took the workbook home, studied through it, and at the end of it desired to be baptized. And I just found out uh, that yesterday she was baptized. And it's such a neat feeling, I guess, to be part of this network of conversion even though those workbooks were written years ago. And I want to encourage you, especially during the New Year time as you are making goals, if you want to be more evangelistic, if you want to minister to friends and family, consider the workbooks that are available at Pure and Simple Bible and see if the content that's in them can't be helpful to you. I think it will. I think it will be helpful to you as you try to reach out and minister to friends and family. And it'll be a great way for them to be introduced to the gospel, to the Bible, to the church, and uh, then it'll help you as a Bible study leader give them good, solid truth. Okay, until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon He was a man like me and you Well, his room's in some trouble